vintage sand. Hello, hello, hello. Under a, almost under a new administration, it's Team Vintage Sand. That would be John Meyer, Michael Edmund, and yours truly, your humble narrator, Josh Cabot. Very nice to be back. Very nice to be back under uh, a nation hopefully returning to some sanity. And very nice to be returning to a topic that has been actually, guys, the subject of some of our most popular uh, episodes in the past. Our la you know, our last three episodes were very serious. We were talking about, we did the double episode on race and film, and our last episode uh, was on uh, American political film. So now we're reaching, dipping back into the Danny Peary well. Danny Peary, one of our favorite film writers, author of cult movies and several other great books on film, who published uh, in the early 90s a book called Alternate Oscars. And he, in that book, he would offer his, well, what won, and his selections for what should have won, whether they were nominated or not. And so far, let me see, I think in episode eight, we did the 1980s. In episode 13, we did the OOs. And in episode 21, we did the 1950s. And today, so in, in a sense, the whole, the whole 25, 25 other episodes have been leading up to this because you guys are such 70s people. So oh, today's yes. episode 26, <laughs> alternate Oscars, the 1970s. And I want to just let the audience know that in my conciliatory and, you know, walk, working across the aisle kind of mode, uh, we've tried to keep foreign films out of this before, but uh, you guys insisted with some reason. And so, yes, <laughs> and, and so this time for alternate Oscars of the 70s, we're going to allow foreign films in. So Bergman, Herzog, Fassbinder, Vendors, Tufo, Romer, Chabral, Buñuel, Bertolucci, Pasolini, Fellini, Weir, Kurosawa, you're all invited in and it's going to be a big tent. Your moment has arrived. Um, why do you, aside from your own personal experience, because you're that age, why, why are the 70s so critical to you? Go ahead, Michael. I just think it was a, a time when there was so much creative freedom allowed. You know, the studios were kind of collapsing in the 60s under these ridiculous, you know, musicals and big, overblown, gigantic, um, mega you don't like you, you don't like paint your wagon, Michael? No? I don't like Pink Your Wagon. <laughs> Big budget movies to compete with TV. Yeah. Right. And there's still some of that in the 70s, and some of them unfortunately became yeah. nominees, which I find appalling. Yeah, like Fiddler. I, I was looking back through and preparing for this. I mean, I mean, the musical of Fiddler, the film of Fiddler is fine, but it's and three hours long, and it's no zero Mostel. I'm like, He's really? miscast. He's 34. <laughs> Why would you have a 34-year-old Tevia? Yeah, uh, not, not, not buying it. But, and of course, the other thing was that because of this confluence of circumstances that Michael's talking about, and the fact that, you know, films like Bonnie and Clyde and Easy Rider were successful when no one in Hollywood thought they would be, and the studios kind of collapsed, they realized they had no idea what they were doing, and they said, hey, you know, right. why don't we just throw a couple of million dollars at the kids coming out of film school, let them do something, and the worst, we're at a couple of million. So what? And you get the American new wave. The French, you know, the French new wavers were so influenced by our film, and now this boomerang's back, 
And our film school directors, who we're going to talk about all evening tonight, uh, were so influenced by Truffaut and Godard especially. And for about seven or eight years. Yeah, I was going to say, it wasn't the entire decade because things started to change the year of Jaws. Exactly. Because then, yeah. then the emphasis on the big weekend blockbuster started to happen. Like, but what was from, from what was the revenue for that opening weekend? Exactly. Still good movies. Yes. And but yeah. from '69 to '75, for the, maybe the only the first time since late silent movies, the directors were the ones with the power and the voice. And then yes. it just went back to the way it always was: the money people. That's when you had the rise of Michael Eisner and Michael Ovitz and CAA and the agencies and yep. putting packages together. And as Michael said, the big box office gross on the weekend. And a lot of people uh, cite that as the decline of, but for a brief golden moment there, the directors ran the show. And it was an incredible period. You know, De Palma, Scorsese, Lucas, Spielberg, Ashby, Altman, Coppola, who kind of owns the decade. Plus, really? we, we, we have to some point do uh, an episode on the 70s new waivers that didn't ultimately succeed, but still did interesting stuff like Bogdanovich, like Friedkin, like Bob Raffleson, who's showing up on my list today, like Jim Toback, people like that. And as you say, John, uh, you know, Jaws sort of marks, it's kind of unfair. Jaws is actually on my list. Um, it's a Jaws, no, Jaws is a good movie. A Jaws good is a good movie, movie yeah. but the phenomena, but the phenomena of that that stupendous opening weekend started to happen, and then the the producers, the you know, the the executives at the studio started to emphasize, oh, that's what we have to start going for, because then Star Wars happened too. Uh, it's just a year later, right? But wasn't and, wasn't Godfather the first? film that was released in over a thousand theaters? Not at first, no. Oh, is that right? Okay, I didn't know it was, that. It was, it was slow, it was limited release for about two, three weeks, and then it went out. And then it yeah. broke big, okay. Yeah. And, and by the way- and for the, when, it, when it opened, it, when it opened though, it had huge lines. Oh my God, yeah. Because Every the, theater, part, just because the book the was block. very popular, so. You know, it just deserves, to, for my, it just so happens that for me in going through the 70s, uh, that, I think, is the only year they got it right. I, I, I argue with every other choice except 1972. <laughs> so uh, let's, let's dive right in, shall we? So 1970, the winner was uh, Franklin Schaffner's Patton, you know, obviously a, a script by Coppola and a very memorable George C. Scott performance. What do you guys have as your Oscar winner for 1970 for Best Picture? Um, MASH. I, you're going all Altman. I, I mean, actually, just I actually, of, of those, of the, of the group that was nominated, Patton, Airport, Five Easy Pieces, Love Story, and Mesh, I think I would have voted for Patton because it's, it's the movie I, I enjoy watching again of that group. Mesh, I, have... I think, the Mesh, I think, has some really great moments, some, some nice scenes, but what the hell is that movie about? It's about hating the military. No, it's, it's about, about Vietnam. It's about the Vietnam. Military. Yeah, it's about Vietnam, but telling but it, it, but it, it, it Oddly enough, the book well, wasn't. Well, yeah, because it's definitely, it's definitely not about the Korean War. That is no. for sure. Although Altman always insisted it wasn't about Vietnam. That it had nothing to do with that. He insisted, but uh, they, they certainly 
marketing it as such. I think it's it. I think some of it. I think some of it works really well, and some of it doesn't. I think. I think the part with the football game, it's funny, but it's a different movie. It's like a Mel Brooks movie all of a sudden. Yeah, or say, or uh, the freshman, you know, or uh, or horse feathers, you know, just kind of yeah. stick the football uh, game in there. Yeah, I thought it went well. My problem with Patton, and I only have one problem with it. I think it's a good movie. I, I think Scott is brilliant and it's well directed, but with the exception of Patton, all the characters in that movie are less than one dimensional. I mean, yeah, was Omar yeah, Bradley boring? Yeah, no, I, and, I, I kind of agree, yeah. And look at um, Field Marshal Montgomery. He's a cartoon character. Montgomery's a hard character to pull off well in movies to begin with because he was re a really eccentric person to begin with. And, and I think they kind of emphasize that too much because, because they, they want to make him memorable because he has such a small part. He's only on yeah, screen for a few moments. But I, but, I just, I thought but, uh, all the other but characters. I have to say, my favorite movie of that year yeah, we, we don't have to stick to nominees, so go My for it. My favorite yeah. movie of that year is Little Big Man. Un very under and underseen. Why, why is that never shown? I don't I, know. I don't know. It used to be that there was a period it was on every so often. I haven't seen it in a long time. And it did well when it came out, I believe. Uh, I don't know. I think I it think did. so. And, and maybe Hoffman's best performance? Yeah. And oh, he's excellent. Every, actually, everybody's excellent in it. And it only received one uh, Oscar nomination for Chief Dan George. Yeah, weird. Maybe it was just yeah. too disturbing for people. They just like, oh, we don't want to go there with that subject. Get out of here. <laughs> I mean, for me, uh, if I, for me, it's almost a tie. I'm going to ultimately go with Five Easy Pieces because, and I am not an insane fan of Jack Nicholson as an actor. However, I think he that I don't think any film better captures that post-Altamont end of the 60s ennui, for lack of a better word or an English word, that <laughs> that, that film does. And it's just the directionless kind of energy going out in all directions. Also, I just love the open end. It's one of my favorite open endings of all time where he just abandons her at the, uh, at the gas station and hitches a ride to God knows where. And that's... It, it kind of reminds me of a much better version of the last line of Easy Rider, which is, we blew it. Well, it's kind of, the ending is sort of a metaphorical suicide, because he says he's he, going to Alaska, and he says it's going to be cold there. And it's going to be cold as hell, right? And, like, and he doesn't even have a coat, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I like I, the film. It's not my favorite Raffleson. I prefer um, the King, King of Modern Gardens. Gardens. Yes. I like that movie, yeah. That's what we got to remind people of. My favorite year, as we uh, did on a previous um, podcast. That's right. Our, um, our favorite. Yours was 72 and John's was 74, right? I went back right. to 1960. And 71 was a close second. Mm. I, the, the other film that I would throw in there is, in terms of its influence as, uh, for, on filmmakers, if not the general public, was The Conformist. The Conformist actually opened in New York in 1971. Oh, all yeah, right. That's good. what so I was, yeah, yeah, was going to ask yeah, about and that. I have I that for Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, right. I was going to bring that up. March. I was, so, okay. It did so play at the New York Film Festival in 70, so you're technically Yeah, I know. Right, it makes Josh. it very confusing. 
So yeah. then, t- so our, for 1970, for Michael, it's MASH. For John, it's Arthur Penn's Little Big Man. And for me, it's Raffleson's Five Easy Pieces. And I have a couple they- movies that I just want to throw in as sleepers. Um, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Landlord, which is Hal Ashby's name. Ashby's Oh, first yeah, I love The Landlord. Right? And um, the first time I ever saw Eric Romare, My Night at Mobs. Which yes, the, yes, uh, yes, yes. New York film critics. Uh, for the best screenplay in beautiful black and white. My favorite film by him, absolutely. So that was, that was not the best year of the 70s, but a very good one. All right, looking to avoid our two-hour episode of last time, we'll move skippingly on to 1971, where oh of course the winner was, was Friedkin's French Connection. John, you start us off this time. What's your What's your pick for 1971? Of the well, of the movies nominated, I would go with the Last Picture Show. Same here. Yeah, Same? I mean, the oh my God, do you agree? The movies nominated are The French Connection, A Clockwork Orange, Fiddler on the Roof, The Last Picture Show, and Nicholas and Alexander. Oh my God, turgid movie, <laughs> terrible. Of the God. yeah, of the movies nominated, I'd go with The Last Picture Show, but. My favorite movie of that year is The Conformist. I, I okay, if Conformist is 71, I can definitely see that. I have a definite feeling about The French Connection. I like to put in a little personal. Go, Michael, about, go. About The French Connection. When I was in um, the 11th grade, I went to a boarding school in New Jersey. And uh, every, almost every weekend, we went to Princeton. And there were two movie theaters. One would show uh, kitty matinees and one would show adult films. And for four months, they showed nothing but the French Connection, which I must have seen, I would guess, between six and eight times. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. I hardly remember a thing about that movie, even though I saw it so many times. I think it had that great editing scene. The Under the Train. But it's just... I think it's a fine cops and robbers movie. It kind of glorifies police brutality. I think Hackman is fine, and it's kind of a one-note performance. But I just did not see. Even then, I didn't see. Yeah, I think I think it's a good movie. It 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 has good New York City atmosphere at the time. Um, It's kind of short on characterization. Yeah. Yeah. I like Roy Scheider in it. Roy Scheider is very good. I do too. Yeah, actually, I I kind of prefer. Scheider's performance to Gene Hackman in it. Well, he, he, he had a more interesting character. Yeah. Well, and my personal connection to French Connection is that you, you, if you watch closely in the chase scene, that's under the, uh, the 86th Street elevated train in Brooklyn. And the school where I first taught uh, for six years, the first six years of my career at Lafayette High School, you'll actually see it a couple of times pass in the background. And the projects, the apartment buildings where he lives, where the sniper shoots at him and kills yeah. the woman with a baby carriage, right. uh, is the Marlboro Houses, which is where so many of my students came oh, from. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah, it's right out there. And, but the baby carriage, that's what I remember. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's the wonderful moment. Oh, yeah, the, the car chase. No, it's one, of, it's one of the great so called car chases of all time. It is. No doubt about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. But that's all I remember. And I that's saw that movie six times. It might, it I, might have also been your experience at the boarding school that you blocked out a lot of that. It could be, but <laughs> I, It was zero I for conduct. <laughs> okay, I have listed, and I'm of course not going to say this, 
say it uh, uh, in our podcast, but I'd like to send it to you, to Josh, to put it on the website. 24 films that I thought from 1971 that were more memorable wow. than The French Connection. And I'm not gonna, uh, the only ones I'm gonna me mention are the top two, and John has already said The Conformist, which is a brilliant movie. And my uh, favorite, uh, the favorite is uh, John Schlesinger's Sunday Bloody Sunday. Fantastic movie, again, underseen. It's, I, I think it's a, as a gay man, I find that it's a very important film because it's the first film that treats a, a gay relationship the same as a straight relationship. Mm, and yeah. uh, without comment or without editorial, if anybody hasn't seen it, it's, it's, it doesn't show much. Um, it, it's brilliantly acted. It got four nominations for actor Peter Finch, who's never been better. Uh, Glenda Jackson is actress, director, and um, original screenplay. Glen Glenda Jackson won, right? No, she won for no. Women in Love the year before. She won for Right. Jane right, right. Fonda won that year for Clue. For Clue, which, which is, is on which is also for the 24 just films. a good movie. <laughs> good movie. Oh, is that a good movie? I'm. Um, I'm uh, so uh, for me, either nominated or un I'm not even distinguishing. Uh, Last Picture Show is my favorite movie of that year. Of, of 71? It, I hate to say it, but Peter because Peter Bogdanovich, go back to episode seven when we uh, watched the new Orson Welles film that Bogdanovich had such a big hand and he's possibly the most obnoxious human being on the world in the world and had a- No, a, you should, uh, he has the podcast for, with TMC. Some of it's pretty interesting. I know, he's brilliant. Listen to it. I mean, his, his, books, uh, his book on John Ford was probably the first great American yeah. book about a single director. I mean, he's a pioneer. But after in that incredible, first of all, I love Targets, the film he did for Corman with Boris Never saw it. Wonderful. And then, uh, and then Last Picture Show, and then What's Up, Doc, and then Paper I don't Moon. like What's Up, Doc. I do. I do. Oh, I, 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 I do. I like What's Up, I Doc. I think it's okay, but it's just... And after that, Daisy Miller, and At Long <gasps> Last Love, and a string of some of the most horrifyingly bad movies this country has ever produced. It couldn't happen Yeah, I don't know what happened guy. to him. Yeah. Oddly enough, the sequel to Last Picture Show wasn't bad, Texasville. Texasville. Well, the book was good too, and McMurtry worked on it as well. But, um, you know, of course, the story you guys know is that he, his, his wife and, you know, muse, basically, Polly Platt, when he made Daisy Miller, he had, he had worked with Sybil Shepherd, of course, on Last Picture Show, and, you know, dumped Polly Platt for Sybil Shepherd to make Daisy Miller. And as soon as he dumped Polly Platt, his films went into the toilet. Ah. So coincidence, perhaps? Maybe I don't not. know. So I'm, but regardless, there's, there's not much new to say about Last Picture Show. It holds up, I watched it again for this. It's so beautiful. And the every oh, yeah. performance oh, it's is- It's an excellent movie. Depressing as hell. Depressing as hell, but every performance is real and subtle yeah. and Ben Johnson and Cloris Leachman deserve their, deserve their Oscars. One of my favorite last lines, you know, she's Cloris Leachman's with uh, Tim Bottom. She's like, never you mind, never you mind. And then that, that pan down the street and the movie theater is closed. Yeah. I also liked Ellen Burstyn. That was my first. Uh, sure. I mean, every, so many yeah. great people in that. And Jeff Bridges, that was his uh, debut film. I, I hate to throw anything Bogdanovich's way, but 71, it's last picture show for me. Mike, what about you? 
Uh, can you choose between? Yeah, for seventy one. Uh, Sunday Bloody Sunday. Sunday Bloody Sunday is yeah. yours. And and John... Conformist is as good a movie. Oh yeah, John. And I was John... just watching it last night. I, I think it's it's so good. It's it's uh, Bertolucci at his absolute best. Oh no. yeah, it's his it's Doubt. his best movie. Easily, absolutely. Yeah, one hundred. There are so many images. God, the the the. His design of the film, Storaro was his cinematographer, yeah. I think. Spectacular. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. John, you're going with Last Picture Show as well? Well, of the movies nominated, that's what I would, that's what I would choose. My, my, my favorite movie of that year is The Conformist. Interesting. And you know, I, my favorite Altman films that year, McCabe and Mrs. Miller. That's on my list of 24 films as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to send them to you, Josh. No, I'll, I'll put it up on the website. Yeah, and I'm, I, 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 I mean, there are some movies. Uh, that was Clint Eastwood's debut film. Uh, Play, Play Misty, Misty for me. me. Yep, fabulous. Harold and, and I Maud. also Harold and Maude. And I'm going to throw in Polanski's Macbeth, which aside, too. aside from Branagh's Henry V, I think is the greatest adaptation of a Shakespeare play on film. Just tremendous. And, and, and a also, the, for, for classical, there was um, a King Lear, Peter Brooks, King Lear with Paul, uh, King Lear with Paul Schofield. I have not seen that. Oh, it's, it's, hard. Good, it's bleak as hell. It's a nice, happy play, though. But, <laughs> and uh, have you ever seen I'm waiting the, for Lear, the musical. <laughs> and then Michael Kellyonius is... Um, yeah, poke your eyes out. <laughs> Michael, Michael Calleones' uh, film version of Euripides, The Trojan Women. Which I have not seen either. Catherine Those are Hepburn, uh, Jean-Vierre uh, as uh, Cassandra, um, um, Vanessa Redgrave as Andromini, and um, Irene Pappas as uh, Helena Troy. It's surprisingly good. And it did, did no business. Uh, yeah, I, I can imagine, but those are... The, I, I don't know if those are out in major DVD or Blu-ray. I have it on. I have Trojan Women. You know, it's funny. These are all movies that, for a long time, the whole the whole retrospective theaters when they were thriving, they used to show all the time. I miss I miss the revival theaters. I know. Sorry to sound like a cranky old person. No, I do too. I know you guys do too. No, and the good ones had such a variety of films too. Well, all right, so. We move on to the next year, 1972. And as I said before, I don't think there is any competition. Uh, I think it's it's one of the great one of the great American movies. It's a very American story, and that of course is Coppola's kind of out of nowhere success, The Godfather. I'm sure when it came out, everyone thought it was going to be a disaster. You know, an untried director, not very famous cast, and uh, I don't know. Well, not only that, but it was it was a fairly low budget, um, and throughout the whole movie, they were you know thinking about firing him. But I think once Paramount saw the final film, they knew they had a winner. Oh yeah, the way they released it was like this yeah. is something. Yeah. Yes, I, I mean, is there, is, there a, is there a movie made in this country that has, you know, wormed its way into our collective consciousness uh, any more successfully than Godfather? It is, it's, it's epic. I'm, I'm very excited, but have you guys been reading the articles about his re-edit of uh, part three? 
I've heard about I've heard, it. I've heard about it. Yeah, um, it's going to be I'm, released in the theaters, isn't it? When we can, re when theaters open uh, someday. I mean, I don't know if it's one of his another one of his schemes just to sort of make a little bit more money, or if he's really improving the movie. No, well, I think he's uh, I think unlike most. A, I think the ending is going to be changed. I think. Oh, good. Right. He, He's a real tinkerer. I mean, he's released new well, that, versions yes, of, of Apocalypse true. and Cotton Club. But he he kind of one of those rare directors who sees his films as works in progress, which yeah. I I kind of accept. I I think it's a uh, Chaplin idea. was like that. Chap Chaplin used to do that all the time. He'd like yes. he'd see the movies and then then he like he would go back and and re reshoot scenes it was like it was like a painter constantly mo modifying the painting the way he worked i agree so are you guys with me on godfather absolutely. oh yeah absolutely yeah. the only other film that i would mention from that year although there were once again a lot of good movies in that year yeah but the one that i kind of have on, on my upper list along with the godfather which is like the best it is definitely the best movie to ever win the academy award for best picture, no, no, um, for me, no. Possibly, question. I don't know if I can argue with that. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, but the, it's the movie that won the foreign language film of that year, and that was Bunuel's *The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie*. I yeah. could surely. It's the only see other that. one I would mention, but I still would give it to *Godfather*. No, no hesitation. And the only other one I was also a foreign film is the first uh, great film of the German uh, Neue Kino, uh, Herzog's Aguirre, Aguirre, The Wrath of God, yeah, oh, yeah. which is so stunning and forward looking. And, it's, and, I, and I think, you know, if you want one image that sums up the insanity and the folly of colonialism and imperialism, it's that last scene on the raft with the monkeys and his, his daughter, who he wants to marry and start. I mean, he's lost his mind. Literally, it's very heart of darkness. And I, I think that is one of the most stunning images ever in a film. And it's a, it's a great, great movie. And kind of announced this new wave, him and Fassbinder and Benders, you know, that the Germans were coming. John, you know, anything you, were, you would add in? You were talking about, you know, how The Godfather is in our collective consciousness. Can you name a movie that is quoted more often? Casablanca. Yeah. Wizard of Oz. Possibly. Possibly. And Wizard of Oz. I mean, because The Godfather, I remember there was, when it had, it was a long time ago, it was re-released and I hadn't seen it in a while. And I realized by the ending, it's like, my God, almost every single line in this movie is famous. It's amazing. And yet I know, I know uh, people who don't like it. I have a filmmaker friend who does not like The Godfather, but loves Godfather too. Well, I love Godfather too, also, but. Yep, but I mean, don't you think that's a little odd? Yes, I think it's very odd. Although Godfather too has different ambitions and you know, the jumping back and forth in time is, is yeah. such a, a powerful. Well, well, also the fact that he had a, he had a much bigger budget for that too, and yeah. more freedom. That, that made a big difference. And Godfather 2 kind of really seals the deal on the American story because we see Vito emigrating as a child. And yes. it's, it's that, that the ultimate American success story, but the dark flip side of it. So, right. all right, we are, we are all in agreement that they got it right in 72. And yeah. I, I would, I don't know about you guys in the audience, but I would have a hard time arguing with Michael that Godfather 
part one is not the best film that uh, that ever won Best Picture. I think that's a pretty solid. I can't think of uh, anything better. Which brings us to 1973, and the now for me kind of unwatchable The Sting. I love The Sting when it came out. It's fine. It's a no, nice I think it, it's a good movie. It's entertaining. Um, you know, every once in a while it shows. I start watching it. I enjoy it. I, I, I will admit that if a movie's nominated, that's what I would vote for. Oh, not me. I'd vote for Cries and Whispers. I know. I, 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 like, I like Bergman a lot. That happens to be a Bergman film I do not care for. I'm with so, you on that, John. I, I, me, I, but I certainly understand why people like it. To me, it's sort of like Bergman saying to himself, I really have to make a Bergman movie this time. <laughs> All right, so I, I, I have but, I'm honor bound. But my, my favorite movie of that year is uh, Mean Streets. Is Mean Streets. That's, that's my number two for that year. What's your, I oh, mean, what's your number one? It's, it's amazing, isn't it, John, how, how Scorsese emerges? I mean, he directed a couple of other small films for Corman before, but it's amazing how Mean Streets is, it's like, you know, being born full formed. All of Scorsese is there already. It, it, it's just yeah. ridiculous how good that film is. I, I, one of the reasons I didn't chose it is because Scorsese's coming up for me later on in the decade. But uh, my number one is the film that we have cited along with Citizen Kane and Boys in the Hood as the greatest debut film of an American director. I'm going with Terrence Malick's Badlands. No, Michael, huh? <laughs> I wish, wish everyone I like at home could I don't love book. it. I liked it when I saw it. Um, I just don't love it. But Badlands can't be seen. None of Malick can be seen on a small screen. I saw it when it came out. No, but and and you st- and you didn't like it at the time. I thought it was good. I, I had a problem with Sheen in it, actually. See, I, I liked really? him, and boy, did I love her. Oh, I, think, I, I think didn't she's care excellent. for him. That image of her twirling well, with the con on the, the lawn. Character is iconic. No, his performance didn't. I didn't think it was quite. A, it was uneven. I thought. Uh, I have a couple of um, honorable mentions. Wait, so what's your, what's your top choice one for of a, 73? One of, well, definitely Cries and Whispers of that Cries game. and Whispers, okay. But um, the film version of The Homecoming, Harold Pinter's The Homecoming, directed by Oh, Peter yeah, Hall, that's a good movie. It is as good as Pinter's you'll ever see on screen. I don't think I've ever seen it. Oh, I have it, Josh. I'll lend it to you. All it's, right. It's like four or five of the original cast members of the original Royal Shakespeare Guys, am, am I misremembering? Or it's really interesting that in the, in the four years we've talked about, we've mentioned a lot of fairly unadorned film versions of plays. The early 70s seems kind of like a golden era for adaptation of well, drama. Well, this was the, the American Film Theater. Right. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, sure. Subscription, which I saw. And most of them weren't good. Uh, Delicate Balance was not very good. It was the Katherine Hepburn show. Iceman Cometh was pretty good, but it's all four hours. And, um, but, the, but the homecoming, I think, knocks it out of the park. And I, there's a movie called The Offense, directed by Sidney Lamet with Sean Connery that I'll mention during the necrology. I don't know that one. You don't I know? I knew it's one. not many people do. An American release? An American studio? No, it, it was a British. 
Huh. But he directed it, but it was British. It was uh, him, Trevor Howard, and Vivian Merchant, one of her eight movies. And it's, 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 I think it's Connery at his absolute best. But I was, oh, I, I don't have a copy of it, and I was hoping that uh, Turner Classic would have shown it on their tribute to Connery, and they didn't. Um, uh, speaking of Lament, that's also the year that Serpico came out. Serpico, which, yes. Oh, I, I don't like Serpico. I, I like it. I don't think it's a great movie. Uh, it's a powerful you know, story, it's, then. Yes. It's a good yes. story, but I just, I don't know. And I, also, I also 73 is also one of, the, one of the best Bogdanovich movies, is Paper Moon. Paper Moon, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I uh, love Robert Altman's The Long Goodbye. Yep. We've talked about that before in, in, in reference to neo-noir. Uh, how about The Last Detail? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good movie. Fabulous Ashby film. Great Nicholson performance. American Graffiti was 73. That's right. It was one of the nominees. Yep. As it should have been. I just saw it. I saw it at a drive-in over the summer in a double feature with Grease. It's the only time I've been to a movie since February. And it was yes. lovely. It was a Damn great experience. <laughs> I know. I know. I was 13 when Grease came out. So you'll have to. I, I saw the musical, the stage musical in previews, and I thought it would close on opening night. That shows you what I know. <laughs> Wrong again. I could have invested in that one. In, uh... <laughs> exactly. Um, one other film I want to mention. Springtime for Hitler and Germany. Michael, you now own 56% of Greece. <laughs> One other film I want to mention from 1973 that isn't well known, um, that got a couple of nominations, is a movie called Summer Wishes, Winter Dreams. And this was written by Stuart Stern, who, as you know, Josh, wrote... Um, Rebel. Rebel Without a Cause. It's Joanne Woodward, middle-aged woman, dealing with a tragedy in her family. And I, I think it's Woodward's best performance. And it, it was a film I found incredibly moving. Um, Andrew Saris, I remember at the time, said it was the best American film of 1973. Hmm. Is it easy to find? Is it on? Uh, Turner has it often. Turner. I have a copy. Yeah, um, I was going to say, it shows, it shows on Turner Classic Movies every yeah. so often. And uh, Joanne Woodward and Sylvia Sidney got nominations uh, for it. Sylvia Sidney's only nomination, Oscar nomination. And I remember at the time being incredibly moved by it. And um, it's, it's not well known. Uh, Woodward got the New York Film Critics Award for uh, Best Actress for it. But I got Andy Sarris was a big supporter of that film. That's how I... I do remember it. the Oscars for that year. And when they had mentioned, I forget if it was for Glenda Jackson. It was winning. Glenda Jackson. And you saw, you saw Joanne Woodward say, <laughs> we're so bad. <laughs> Everybody was just shocked that she won for a touch of class. Which is a movie was, I've never figured out the appeal. Was Day for Night 73 here? 74. 74. But it won right. me a foreign film for 73. Right. And then and, and, um, so Ingrid Bergman beat Valentina yeah. Cortese for, uh, right. for supporting. And Ingrid Bergman said, you gave it. Why did you give this to me? I didn't deserve it. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. <laughs> and I, I also, and I'm, as a Julie Christie fan, I thought you were going to mention Don't Look Now. I have that down. Yeah. Which Absolutely. is my favorite I Nick Rogue film. I like it more now than when I first saw it. 
And I'm going to throw one last foreign film in there. Uh, our, our only mention, my only mention of Spain anyway, is uh, Victor Arise's uh, Spirit of the Beehive. I'm ashamed which to say I've never seen it. Just stunning, beautiful, odd, wonderful film. Uh, I've very, never seen it. Almost like the uh, the female, it's about these two young girls and they, they, they become obsessed with um, Frankenstein, with the Frankenstein movie, which they see. And they're kind of orphan living. It, it's really real. I saw it at BAM at a festival once and it was just just really grabbed. I don't know anything else about Arise's work, um, but that that's one to look at. And I'm also sorry, guys, you know, I'm the genre person. I'm throwing in The Wicker Man, the Edward Woodward, Robin Hardy Wicker Man. That is one of the most disturbing horror films without being overtly violent I have ever seen in my life. But what about Michael, The Exorcist? Not... What about The Exorcist? I don't understand. <laughs> I don't like The Exorcist. I don't no, either. I don't either. I wish I did. I don't it was, and I, uh, I don't, it was such a phenomenon when it came out, too. Yeah. Go figure. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't get it. Well, and so that brings us now to 1974 and any other year, and I think you guys may be with me on this, any other year they would have been right in giving it to Godfather Part Two, which is, as I said, in some ways is more epic in, its, in the vistas it covers than Part One, because as I said, you, the, the intercutting of Vito coming here as a child and building his empire with, you know, with Michael and ultimately with Fredo and Cuba, and it, it's just spectacular. I can't give it to Godfather Part Two in the year of Chinatown. Yep. Sorry, can't. I'm. I'm. I actually. I would have got given it to Godfather Two, but if Chinatown won, I'd be like, well, yeah, okay, because I think Chinatown is. They are both on my list of the great American films. Like I. I think they're both just amazing movies. I mean, I think in our recent memory, there was one maybe, and, and you may argue with me on this, I think 07, when both No Country for Old Men and There Will Be Blood came out. When's the last time we had two movies like that? I know, I know, I know you guys I don't like love. I like film. <laughs> <laughs> tough crowd, man, tough crowd. Sorry. So I would, I would, John, you're going to keep it with Godfather 2. I'm, I'm by, by yes. the slightest of fractions giving it to Chinatown because... As we said in the politics uh, episode last time, Chinatown is this country. It, Noah Cross is the ultimate American creation. And every performance, every twist, every turn, uh, Robert Town's script, the way it was shot, the, the, you know, changing the ending to, to make it a Polanski ending. I don't usually like Faye Dunaway, but she's incredible in it. Well, she's and, excellent in it. And Nicholson again. I mean, <laughs> Nicholson yeah. is just invaluable. I think it's the best work of either Nicholson or Dunaway. So, Michael, where do you stand on this? Godfather Chinatown. or Chinatown? Yeah. Chinatown. And I do like Godfather 2. I've got a little problem with one of the performances, uh, Michael B. Gasso. I just. Yeah. I in don't the, care in for the him. beginning, he gets better as the movie goes along. And I think, and part of the problem, too, is the fact that he was such a late replacement. Right. And he really wasn't an actor. He was a writer and a teacher. Yeah, he, that's, that is, that is a, that's a good point. Did but, you like- but that's, that, that's a slight problem. Did you I, like Strasburg? I, I, I do like The Godfather Part Two. I like it much more as I've gotten older. When it came out, I was more disappointed. 
Um, it's interesting because I, I, the first time I saw it when it first came out, I loved it. Yeah, I, w I think I was too influenced by Vincent Canby who panned it. Yeah, well, Vincent Canby was I, often wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. But, He's uh, the, poor, the poor man's Bosley Crowther, which you don't want to be in life. No, I no, think, God, I think Godfather Two is a very Godfather Two is a very Crowther. very rich film. There's it just is. so I, I, there's so much so much in it. I, I can't disagree. Um, I, I would pick Chinatown. I also happen to love Day for Night, and that's for that year. Absolutely. Yeah, no. And I'm, I'm, as other films, I'm going to throw in another one of the German films, my favorite of the Fassbinder films, and one that has turned out to be incredibly prophetic, which is Ali Fear Eats the Soul, about the uh -huh. older German woman who ends up with a younger Muslim man, and you know, the family's reaction to it. And as Germany wrestles with this migration of non-Germans, especially Muslim non-Germans, into the country, and you're seeing the rise of the far right again, you know, Fassbinder, as always, about 40 years ahead of his time. We'll th I'll throw Parallax View and The Conversation in there. So yeah. yeah, and Absolutely. The Conversation is one of the movies that was nominated for Best, Best Picture, and it's a Picture. great movie. Yeah, which, which surprised me, because uh, I liked it a lot. And, but it was such a, um, not a, it was not a financially successful film. No, no, and I, I can see it, why. I think it stayed in Minneapolis for one week. I, I was lucky huh. enough to catch it. Yeah. And when it got Best Picture, I go, oh, yeah, really. Um, I want to put in a couple of foreign films go. that I like a lot. Uh, Bergman's Scenes from a Marriage. Sure. Which, as I explained to you guys before, was declared ineligible for Oscars because... Uh, it was originally uh, a TV, TV series. It came out the year before, some quirk in the Academy rules. Have you guys seen the original TV series? Yes. Yeah. No, I have not. Better, it's much better than the movie. It is. It is, but yeah. The same thing with Face to Face, which comes up in a couple of year, uh, years. But uh, it's still extraordinary. You know, Showtime's, uh, I'm sorry, HBO is uh, making an American um, series out of it. Really interesting. Really, yeah. I think it's Oscar Isaac and um, Jessica Shaston. Nice. Yeah. Two of my favorites these days. And the other one, uh, Lacombe Lucien. Ah, now Louis yep. Malle. Yep. I and think that's you know, a marvelous movie. Which, along with Ovoir les Enfants, which he did in '87, you know, yeah. his two sort of Holocaust films. He, why is he always forgotten? I don't we know. Talked, when we did the 80s, we talked a lot about Atlantic City being ignored in 81. Oh. Yeah. He, I just saw, because I'm doing a virtual film society and we're doing the French New Wave, so I just watched Elevator to the Gallows. Oh, I, mean, I just saw it a few uh, months ago. On isn't that a wonderful film? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, my favorite thing about that is Miles Davis improvising the entire soundtrack in uh -huh. one take. I mean, but that, I mean, everyone comments about Truffaut and Henri Decay as cameraman doing Paris in 400 Blows, but, uh, but Mal was doing it the year before. He's always forgotten. He never, he's never at the top of the list. Anywhere. Yeah, I don't understand there. that either. <coughs> Maybe because he made some American movies that weren't considered great, like Damage. Wait, didn't he make Pretty Baby too? And Pretty Baby, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was not so good. 
But um, all right, so 1974, when will we ever see a year where you have two films as good as Godfather 2 yeah. and Chinatown released in the same year? Yeah, like I said, remarkable. they're both they're both in my top 10 of great American films. That's amazing. And remember for our, I think it was episode four or five, we did our favorite years and not for nothing, that John's was... favorite year was 1974. Yeah. Uh, which makes a ton of sense to me now. On we go to 1975 and Milos Forman's uh, adaptation of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which I like a lot, but it's not my winner. Don, uh, John same here. I, I like it a lot too, but it's not the movie that I would go with. I, I think it's just okay. I think it's just okay. Uh, I had read the book and I thought the book was hysterical. I thought they sucked out the, a lot of the humor from the book and also the play, which I saw later. Right. And frankly, Louise Fletcher is quite good as Nurse Ratchet, but to me, she seemed more like a misguided social worker than an evil nurse. <laughs> oh, I don't, you know, and they, there's a series now called Ratchet on yeah, have you Netflix, watched it? is it? I haven't I seen it yet, I no, based on, on that character. With Sarah Paulson. But she has, uh, you guys know I'm an insane Star Trek fan. And of the Star Trek series, my favorite of them is Deep Space Nine. And Louise Fletcher plays a character who is very much, and she's like a holy person, ostensibly, who eventually sort of becomes the Pope figure. And she's horrible, that, that evil just under the sweetness and the quiet and the calm. She's, she's what makes Cuckoo's Nest still watchable for me. It's amazing how many actresses turned down that part. Uh, Colleen Dewhurst, Anne Bancroft, Ellen Burstyn, Angela Lansbury. Really? All turned down Nurse Ratched. Well, my, my 1975 is, uh, is easy for me. And again, if you read, and for those of you who are interested in this period out in the audience, the book for my money to read about this is Peter Biskin's Easy Rider's Raging Bulls. Yeah, it's an excellent book. tells yep. the story of the rise of this, the Hollywood New Wave and their, their rise and ultimate fall. And Biskin puts a lot of the blame for this transition we were talking about from directors being in control to the money people taking power again. Jaws is still my pick for 1975. Really? Absolutely. And I'll tell you what, first of all, I was 10 years old when it came out. Rather impressionable. Second, so you were scared out of your pants. You bet. <laughs> I, was, I was up near a lake and we didn't go swimming and people tried to talk me into it for weeks that sharks can't live in fresh water and I refused to believe it. I just, <laughs> I, I just did not believe it. But Gosh, you weren't alone. I went, I went to Europe that summer and I was at the Cannes Beach and I wouldn't go in the water. Yeah, it, it was. And I think it's still, and I'm not a huge Spielberg fan. I think it's a perfect film. I don't think there's a, I, I don't think there's a miscat. Lorraine Gary is not great, but that's kind of a thankless part. I think it, it, a lot of the credit goes to Verna Fields, remember, because his editor, because when the, the editor, shark was yeah. looking so terrible, she was the one who said, hey, you're making a William Castle horror film, make a Hitchcock film, and don't show the shark until three quarters of the way in. And when you do, it's astonishing. And for me, I know it's a cliche, but I'm going with it anyway. The scene that separates this from every film like it, and there are tons of films like it, is the USS Indianapolis scene, which Robert Shaw improvised, you know, because till that point, these were three interesting mismatched people 
But when they bond, and Robert Shaw tells that story of being in the water, yeah. that true story about the USS Indianapolis, living in the bomb, the Hiroshima bomb. And yeah. it's just, and all of a sudden, we really care about those people. And when the shark attacks again, we don't want them to get hurt. Whereas, you know, cut to almost 20 years later in Jurassic Park, which is obviously a much better film technically, but I found that I didn't give a damn who lived. They could kill Jeff Goldblum, Laura Dern, Sam Neill, the kids, Richard Attenborough. I don't care. I didn't care about anybody. So it's uh -huh. interesting, the, uh, the Indianapolis scene that you're talking about, I always loved when, because uh, the Richard Dreyfus character and Robert Shaw, they do not like each other. But when oh, he yeah. mentions the Indianapolis, suddenly, suddenly Dreyfus, his, his whole demeanor changes, like you're on the Indianapolis. Like he's, he's like, oh my God, I know something else about this person, no wonder. And all of a sudden you can see how he's really interested in, and starts to like him. And it's a, it's a scene that absolutely does not advance the plot, the hunt for the shark at all in any way, but it completely makes that movie. And uh, you ever look into a shark's eyes, John? Dead eyes, like a doll's eyes. My God, Robert Shaw is so easily overlooked. But I, and, and that's just by a whisker because I am also putting it, although now it's so politically incorrect, by a whisker, Jaws beats the man who would be king which I saw with my dad when I was 10 years old when he came out there, Sean Connery again. And the, the story is so offensive now in terms of its tippling colonialism. But my God, that was the first time a movie really absolutely pulled me into a world that was not my own. Houston did such a good job in creating that, that world in the, middle of the, in the middle of nowhere, in the mountains, in the desert. I, I was just completely captivated by it so but it's it's politics and its characterizations are a little hard to take now yeah. so i'm going with jaws for 75 by a whisker over the man who would be king mike well you know what my answer is we all know what yours we is we all know what mike's we i've talked about it enough on, on on the, the uh, other podcast robert altman's nashville of course i i still was shocked when it lost in 1975 and um, I gotta say too, I in in the nominees, I prefer both um, um, Barry Lyndon and Dog Day Afternoon mm. to both Cuckoo's Nest and Jaws. Jaws is a good movie. It's just it's not my kind of movie. I don't generally like monster movies, and that is kind no, of me, a well made. Me neither. Movie. I totally agree with you. And, and that's, I, that's I remember awesome. it was showing years later. It was showing, it was, uh, I was at my uncle's for Thanksgiving and they were all watching it after dinner or before dinner. And I went into the other room. I just thought, thought I really don't want to see this again. It, it, maybe it says more about me than it says about the movie. I, I will give you that. This is why I can't Good be a film critic. And it's also such a huge, it's such a huge improvement on the novel. I immediately oh, went yeah, and got the novel. I, and I, was I, had, like, I did read the novel oh, and I thought the crap. novel is It's terrible. terrible. <laughs> but you want to you want to talk about an ambitious film about what America means? You can't do much better than Nashville. That's for sure. Yep. And a couple yes. other films of that year: um, Amacord, uh -huh. Fellini's last really Absolute. really great movie. And um, yeah, I just want to mention Amacord. Picnic at Hanging Rock. Anybody? That's seventy nine. No, that's last last wave was seventy nine. Are you sure? 
Picnic the Hanging Rock was released in Australia in 75. I don't know oh, if it was okay. released. Well, that could be. I didn't yeah. see it. It didn't come to Minneapolis in 79. Yeah, well, <laughs> Minneapolis. <laughs> oh, I have, a, I have a story for our next uh, Is that next the same year, year Casablanca was released in Minneapolis? <laughs> no. When we get to 76, I have a tiny story to tell you, which really okay. makes me look Well, my favorite movie of 75 is Barry Lyndon. Mm. That is... That is my favorite Kubrick movie. It's one of the movies that Kubrick did that I can watch over and over again. And I find it just extremely beautiful, but it's not, it's all subjugated to the story, the way it's shot. And there's something about that character that, that pulls me into that movie and I get extremely involved. I know some people just hate it, yep. but uh, I, I love it. I hated it when I saw it in 75. And now I've since seen it again at the film forum, and I love it. And boy, you want to talk about a film that you absolutely should not bother with on anything. I mean, Barry Lyndon on a small screen, even a, a good size flat screen TV, it's not, you don't get anything close to the experience you don't. of seeing it. I mean, if you see it on TV, you're going to be like, my God, I hate all these people. I don't care about them. It's so long. It's so dark. But my goodness, on a big screen, it's a religious experience. I agree with yeah. you. Yeah. Anything else to uh, to mention for seventy five? Oh, I got I, I've got to mention Monty Python and the Holy Grail. There, I had to say it. It's not <laughs> going to win any awards, but you want to talk about an influential movie and a quotable movie? I could recite the whole movie for run you. Run away! Today. Run away! <laughs> Keep running! <laughs> I, I want to mention a dark horse movie that people don't know about: uh, Joseph Losey's The Romantic English Woman, with Glenda Jackson and Michael Caine and a screenplay by Tom Stoppard. Wow. Very well, good it's interesting that, that, that Losey is, is not really well known here anymore. And no. I don't know if that's because he doesn't deserve to be or we oh, just I think he missed does. something. I, I, think, I think his movies um, with the, that they did with uh, Harold Pinter doing the screenplay are extraordinary. The Servant, Servant and the go-between, which is on my list of 24 films in 1971. The Servant is really, really good. Yeah. Great. Interesting. And, so uh, that may be a, uh, a, a topic for an episode. Someone needs to resuscitate Joseph Losey's reputation. I would, I would uh, definitely. I really like him a lot. Everybody thinks he's British and he's from Wisconsin. Well, he yeah, he left the country because of the because blacklist. of the blacklist, right? And he did a color, he did the boy with the green hair, and he did the remake yep. of M here, yeah. right? And then yeah, yeah mm -hmm. and then out. All right, nineteen seventy six, Rocky. I know that I know you're all going to agree hey. with Rocky as the choice for best picture. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> look look at the nominees that year. All the President's Men, Bound for Glory, mm. Network, Taxi Driver, and Rocky. To me, it's like a test, which doesn't belong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it has become sort of a cultural touchstone, certainly, but oh. I, I, it's, it's easily the worst of those movies, there's no doubt. I, I, I just, I, I dislike Sylvester Stallone so much. I remember um, when that movie came out, him doing, this was after I'd saw it, him doing a Playboy interview, talking about Brando, saying, he doesn't like to be compared to Brando because he doesn't think well of him as an actor or as a human being. And I thought, screw you. <laughs> Come on, Sly, seriously. 
and to this day, I've only seen two other uh, uh, Stallone movies. You haven't missed much. Now, that's it's, what I've been told. The one that he was great in was Copland. Didn't see it. Yeah, I was going to say, I kind of like that. It's pretty good. Took, and as I, we've mentioned before, I, uh, I really enjoyed the first uh, Creed movie, and I thought he was very understated and, and nicely. I he was playing Burgess Meredith. Well, that's not easy. <laughs> but I mean, it was the same movie, practically. Well, at least you didn't play Burgess Meredith as, as Penguin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, Burgess Meredith and uh, Burt Young were the only one thing I liked about uh, Rocky. Listen, no, I, I'm saw, gonna, I, I, I will seen... say, I think Rocky's, a, it's a good movie. It's, it's entertaining, but it's Absolutely. not in the same, it's not in the same class as All the President's Men Network and Taxi Driver. No, and I think who steals Rocky is not even Burgess Meredith, but Carl Weathers, who, you know, I had never heard of before, who plays Apollo Creed. He's wonderful. Yeah, Very, yeah he's sort of the Muhammad Ali figure. But yeah. I, I can tell you, we were talking before, I, I'm from Staten Island, and I don't know if our audience uh, has heard about the, uh, the bar that's refusing to shut down because of the masks. and That's what I was like, bringing up before all the conservatives on Staten Island. I have to tell you that I remember going to see Rocky IV, the one where he fights Ivan Drago, the Russian, at, oh, in Staten, God. Staten Island. And in the last fight, I swear to God, everyone in the audience got up. This was 86, so before the Cold War ended. Everyone got up and was jumping up and down, yelling, Russia sucks, Russia sucks, wow. Russia sucks. <laughs> These are my people, and I love them. <laughs> I missed that one. <laughs> So I'm and all I'm, the other Rocky movies. Mine's very easy for '76. I am going to um, uh, I'm I'm going to go with a uh, nomination, and uh, for me, it is uh, it's Taxi Driver. Uh, okay. Talk about a film that it has become part of our cultural language and just just completely unexpected, and you know, put De Niro over the top and just. Just beautiful. It still holds up. Still is terrifying. It's it's. There's a reason that uh, that it was ripped off so obviously and brutally for Joker last year because it still mm. has so much power. I'm so Taxi Driver is easy for me in '76. What about you guys? Uh, mine is All the President's Men by Hair. I mean, I. I admire taxi driver a lot but i would go for all the president's men i just I, I i like it more and more each time i watch it and for me it's a tie oh boo no ties. all the president's men and network which is a movie really? i like more and more every time i see it really i mean network network yeah. Network is so far ahead of its time, of course, in its view of the media. I just, you know, oh, as I've said it's before, prophetic. but the writing is very much, I, I know you like Holden and Mike, we've talked about this before, but yeah, very speechy. I don't find that, except for Holden, there's no real people in there. It's Chayefsky it's using him as mouthpieces. I think you have a point. I like the movie a lot, but I think you have a valid point. It doesn't bother me. Speechifying. Well, it's, I mean, you can see the movie, the whole movie is satire. Yeah. So that's sort of yes. why it works. And if you agree with Mike, Super go to the windows, sale. open them up. <laughs> hey, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to listen to this podcast anymore. <laughs> <laughs>
They're all throwing their computers out the window. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oddly enough, my younger friends, uh, most of the movies of the 70s, they don't like most of them, but they do like Network. Interesting. Well, again, yeah. my God, it, it, I talked about Face in the Crowd last episode, and that's the only other film that even comes close to Network in predicting what was going to happen with uh, the media and the power of the media being twisted in all the wrong ways. All right, so we come to 1970. Uh, no, 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 oh. I have a little story. There's a couple oh, we got a 1976 story, that's right. Go, Mike. Face to Face, Ingmar Bergman which is about a psychiatrist who tries to kill herself and uh, Liv Ullman gives a fantastic performance. Always. It opened in New York in April of 1976. It did not come to Minneapolis until October of 1976. However, it came to Chicago in August and I drove one yes. day. Yes. Seven hours. <laughs> <laughs> remember, this was when the 55 miles speed limit was, was imposed. I drove seven hours to see that goddamn movie. Got up at four in the morning, got there about one o'clock, saw it, had lunch or dinner and went back. That's, That's that devotion, was what, my how nutty I was as a, as a movie, uh, movie nut. And especially as a Bergman fan. And a Bergman just fanatic. Think, I just think, didn't want right? to wait anymore. <laughs> It's a good thing you like the movie. A, a few films from that Imagine. year that I also just want to mention that I really oh. like. The Shootist, which is yeah, Don Wayne's film. last movie. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a good movie. Don Siegel. It's really, really good. The Front, which John mentioned last Yes. In the Politics time. Films episode, yep. Very good. And um, uh, the, 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 the uh, Next Stop Greenwich Village. Mazursky. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good movie. Paul and, and I'm going to uh, throw in, sorry, being the genre person, I'm throwing in Carrie. I am, I am a De Palma hater generally, but I'm throwing Carrie in. I do like Carrie. It's one of the few De Palma movies I do like. Because after Carrie, I kept going to see other films he made and was Ugh. ultimately disappointed. Ugh. The Fury started. I've told you guys, the only film I ever walked out on was Body Double. Ever. Like in all the films I've seen. It was so just such a, a pathetic Hitchcock ripoff and so misogynist yeah. and disgusting. I was like, okay, I'm out. Yeah. This guy's a sick bastard. But I came back for Untouchable, so there you go. And, and then it went all downhill from there. So to 1977 and Annie Hall, which is very hard to argue with, but I'm going to argue with it. But that's only because I'm 10 years younger than you guys, so I think that's a hit of what I'm going Star Wars? Uh-huh. Guys, I, uh, all apologies uh, to the cinephiles out there. I know George Lucas, except for graffiti, is nothing of a filmmaker. I was 12 years old, and my uncle and aunt took me to see it at the Aviation Mall in Glens Falls, New York, and it completely changed my life. Absolutely, I'd never seen anything like it. I, I know what it did to the industry. I know that, I know what it did to Lucas's career, who had he not gone that way and gone with more graffiti style films, might have been a really great filmmaker, but it became sort of the inverted pyramid, you know, from which everything else sprung out. I've liked some of the sequels, hated some of the sequels uh, and the prequels, but I, I've never had a, and, and I had to be, had to be 12. And I've I, never had I enjoyed it when I when I first came out. I liked it, but uh, of the movies nominated, yeah, I think I'd go with Annie Hall. 
I have no I problem actually, with that, obviously. I mean, I actually think Annie Hall was the best movie of that year. It wasn't the best year of the 70s. Star Wars, I do, I like, really... I do like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yes, 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 I yes. Good. Not I, seen enough. I don't like days. it as much as Star Wars. I know it's a very different movie. Yeah. But I do like it. Um, but I think Annie Hall, it, it, it's funny how it's considered Woody Allen's greatest movie and kind of one of the top comedies because I, I don't know if it holds up to that. It is very funny. I mean, I, I would like to see have seen the three-hour movie he originally made that he cut down. Wow. Well, I think I, supposedly the editor said to him, this movie isn't about what you thought it was going to be. Yeah. It was mainly about him. Yeah. And he said, he said, your real movie here is about her. Yeah. Absolutely. And that was, and she, you know, she's never been better. And that's saying something because she's given a lot of she performance. She had another good performance in a movie I hated that year, called, uh, Looking for Mr. Goodbye. Yeah, oh, I was going to say, I was gonna say she, was, she was great in that, but oh, God, it's, I don't well, want to see that ever again. No, <laughs> it's, compared to the book, it's not a good movie. It's really Richard Brooks kind well, of... Not only that, but it had such a puritanical... Yeah. Was like, the book was less so. I mean, it had, was the same story, but, uh, but she, she was uh, very, very good. A couple of other films I want to mention. Uh, Louis Brunel's final film, That Obscure Object of Desire. Absolutely on my list. Yes. Love it. Yeah. Um, Robert Altman's Three Women, which Brilliant. I think is really one of his most adventurous, adventurous movies. I, I really want to see that again. I haven't seen that in a long time. Um, one of my favorite sports movies came out that year, Slapshot. Slapshot, yes, the Hanson oh, yeah, Brothers, I yes. I love that movie. And oddly enough, all my uh, hockey-loving friends in college hated that movie. Of what? course they did. <laughs> the Charlestown yeah. Chiefs, the Hanson Brothers, come no, on, that's I amazing. They, uh, <laughs> I think it made too much fun of the violence of, um, of uh, uh, hockey. And one other film that I happen to love that the critics didn't is Aline Renee's first English language movie. I think it's his only one to date. Providence. Have you ever seen I've it, never Josh? seen it. I've always wanted to. It's, it's not on DVD. It's, it's I, know. I think, very, very good. And actually, John Gilgood did wind up winning the New York Critics Award for Best Actor. It's a very odd movie. But at the time when it came out, I thought, wow. And I, I, at that time, I had not seen any Ali Renee of his films. I hadn't seen uh, Hiroshima. Or Marion Bott. Or, at that or point, Mar I was only Muriel, like yeah. Well, and, and I have to throw in the film that obviously I didn't see uh, when I was at. I should tell the audience that John and Michael and I met when we were working in the 80s for the R.R. Bowker Company. And one of the things we... Used to, we worked for Subject Guide to Books and Print. You may be old enough to remember those volumes in your bookstore or your library. And for a couple of years there, when I was there, we got to handle movies too. And mm. I remember we spent almost, and we, so we'd have we get a list of movies and we'd have to put them into categories, uh, genres or whatever. And I remember spending two hours trying to figure out where to put Eraserhead which is 1977. Yeah. Now, of course, I didn't see Eraserhead. I was 12. I was not going to go see Eraserhead. 
but I became a huge fan of it uh, in midnight movies. You know, when I got a couple of years older, they'd show it every, you know, every yeah. month or so. No, has great. Nothing like it. One of a kind. And I have been a David Lynch fan for good and for bad ever since. So he's I'm had a lot of good. He's had a lot of bad. And he has. Yes, he I has. Mean, Dune. Oh, my God. Well, but he did Dune as a way to get the money for Blue Velvet. He, that's, that I was know. a, a yeah. for hire job. But look at Elephant Man, which everyone forgets. Elephant Man is great. Blue Beautiful. Velvet is great. Mulholland Drive Mulholland is, is great. I love Wild at Heart. I don't care for Wild at Heart. I'm surprised by how much I still like that film. And of course, yeah. just the first season, not the remake, not even the second season, but the first seven episodes of Twin Peaks are as good as you. anything I've ever seen on television. Absolutely. I agree with so you there, Josh. I throw yeah. a racer head in there for 77. John, anything you want to add for 77? Uh, that actually is one of the movies I was going to bring up. Yes. All right. Which takes us to the, the year I think is probably the least interesting of the yeah. 70s. I, I, I was working really hard. In 1978, Chimino's first film, Deer Hunter, won. I, I would it's say deservedly. What's that, Mike? It's his second film. Oh, right, right, right. What was the first? Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Thunder with Eastwood, yeah. right, right, right. Sure. Correct. Um, and of course, became, yeah. became notorious for the failure of Heaven's Gate next. But Deer Hunter still holds up. I, I was looking through other films for 78. I didn't find anything. Um, I don't like Deer Hunter much. I didn't then. I, I recently watched it on TV, and I still, there are good things in it, but I, I, I don't care for it. Out of the nominees, I like An Unmarried Woman. Sure, Jill Clayburgh. Jill Clayburgh, uh, which it, it, it was funny. Mo almost everybody I knew including women, men, older women, younger women, hated that movie. I was the only person I know who liked that movie. But it did get nominated for Best Picture. I do want to bring up a movie that I happen to love that came from 1978 that isn't well known. It's a movie, and it's, I got to give it a little history of, of it. It's a movie called Stevie directed by Robert Enders. With Glenda Jackson. With Glenda Jackson and yeah. Mona Washburn. Now here's the story behind it. It opened up one week in Los Angeles to, uh, in 1978 to qualify for Academy Awards. Uh, Mona Washburn won the um, uh, New York Film Critics, I mean the LA Film Critics Award for Best Supporting Actress. I don't know if you know who she is. She was the housekeeper in My Fair Lady and she's uh, Billy Liar's mother, very good character actress. And uh, then they got Golden Globe Awards for Glenda Jackson and Mona Washburn. And then the film distributor went out of business. <laughs> and the wow. movie dis totally disappeared. I did not see it in 1978. Fast forward to 1981, and the Samuel Goldwyn Company picks up the distribution. It, it winds up for two days at the Thalia uh, theater, uh, Revival Theater here in New York, <laughs> and a double feature with Mr. Forbush and his and the Penguins. <laughs> that and Stevie. <laughs> wow, that works. Um, Vincent Canby reviews it, raves about it. It has a four-month run at the 68th Street Playhouse. Glenda Jackson and Mona Washburn win the New York Film Critics Award, but of course, it's no longer eligible for the Oscars. It was the eligible for the Oscars 
1978. But this is my favorite movie of 1978. Mm. It's, um, and you can see it on YouTube. That's the only place you can see it, I checked. And uh, it's about the poet, poet C.B. Smith. Were you Smith, sure. familiar with her work? Josh? A little bit, yeah. I mean, she's not someone who's taught much, but yes, yeah, I know her Yeah, I never heard, heard of her. But 75% of this movie is Glenda Jackson speaking directly into the camera. And it's her, Mona Washburn as her aunt, uh, Alec McGowan and Trevor Howard have small roles. It, it's just an incredible, incredible movie. And it doesn't seem stagey. And I really, I, I just love this movie so much. And I, I wish people, if you do see it, go to YouTube, want to watch it, go to YouTube, but be sure to Google it as Stevie Glenda Jackson. Otherwise you'll get a lot of Stevie Nicks. Don't yes. want that. <laughs> <laughs> John, anything, anything to uh, uh, Well, the movie, the mo I, actually, I actually would vote for The Deer Hunter for that year. And yeah, I, think I, think it's a really, I think it's a really great example of great acting, saving, and not so good script. Um, I would yeah. agree with that. I think totally. I think I think this. I mean, the movie is a little bit uneven, but I think all, there's also moments in that movie that are very powerful and very moving. And I know there was some controversy about the film when it came out. I don't really think this movie is about Vietnam. I think it's just generally about the horror of war, about about the, the whole I, of mythologizing and romanticizing war, and then they go and find out, oh, it's not what I thought it was. But very good performances, and very, it felt oh, very yeah. real. It really, felt... everybody, everybody in it is excellent. Yeah, and it was sad because that was movie came out after John Casale had died. Yeah, that was right. his last film. Yeah. And I, the only other film I, that, that people don't know, I don't even know if it's available, is Fingers with Harvey Keitel, James Toback's film. Have you oh, guys Fingers. seen Fingers. Yes. Uh, yeah, I know that. That's I an that. interesting uh, film. Not a fan, John? I don't know if it's, a, uh, no, I'm just thinking if it's available. I don't know. It probably isn't. Probably is not. Most but Toback are. is someone who should have been Scorsese or Coppola and just, never was, just kept tripping over himself and made some films, but fingers, and also one of the great Harvey Keitel performances in that. Yeah, he's wonderful something. in it. Yeah, I, I, I recommend tracking that down. I want to mention one last Bergman movie, and it's not one of his best. Autumn Sonata? Autumn Sonata, just yeah. because how great Ingrid Bergman was. Yep, the two Bergmans. I would, yeah, I would agree. It's not, it's not a great movie, but she is superb in it. And this was her last film, theatrical movie. She only did a TV film, uh, it's Golda Meir, uh, right yeah. before she died. Right, I remember but Bergman that. is a woman named so Golda. good in it. And the, I, I just have no, I think it's one of the, really the finest performances I've ever seen on film. All right, which brings us to our last year. I, th I totally know, I think I know where you guys are going. You probably know where I'm going. But I, I, would, say that's, going. I would say that 79 is the worst choice of all. Uh, there's a reason that, no, that Kramer versus Kramer is not shown anywhere anymore. And it's all the more remarkable that it won, considering that there are some, you know, boundary-defying consciousness-raising movies that came out that year. So many of them. I don't even know where to begin, but John, kick it off. What's your choice for 79? Oh, well, the movies, I, I, Apocalypse Now. Thank you, yes, okay. I, I don't have to think about it at all. Even though there's other movies that came out that year that, that I like a lot, 
but I would go with Apocalypse Now. I just I am one hundred percent with you. Amazing, an amazing movie. That boy did Coppola own the seventies, right? The two Godfathers, no. Conversation and Apocalypse. My goodness, that's a pretty good decade for a director. But yeah, I'm with you on that. I think Apocalypse Now is has only grown and grown and grown in stature uh, for a reason, and I think it deserves it. And we're not even talking about the film that I think that Mike is gonna choose because that, that's right behind there. Mike? Yeah, well, of the nominees, I would have gone with Breaking Away. Lovely film, lovely, lovely film. Very, very, I guess my favorite sports movie of all time, if you wanna call it a sports movie. And it's about cycling. All right. And it's about cycling, yeah. <laughs> And um, Apocalypse Now, I, I disagree with you guys. I think it's three-fourths a great movie. Every time I watch it, and I have a copy of it, whenever Dennis Hopper comes on, I have to turn it off because he is so totally awful in this movie. But he's hardly in it. He, he's in it enough. And I'm not crazy Brando. about Brando in it either. I know. Mike, let's but, face it, you're an errand boy sent by grocers well, to collect a bill. <laughs> He's just a curmudgeon. <laughs> my favorite movie of 1979 is Manhattan. Of course. I knew that. Was I think it's definitely Woody Allen's best movie. It, it's aged well. Uh, even, I even, it even with the, uh, the May-December yeah. romance there? Yeah, I to don't put think, it gently. Yeah, he had a 17-year-old uh, girlfriend at one point. So did Boy. Chaplin. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not going to condemn the man. It was part of the movie. And frankly, if you watch the movie, it doesn't really say this is really the best relationship. It's, it's, it's oh, no. clear, you know, that um, there are problems with it. And, it, and uh, he makes jokes about, you know, how he could beat up uh, her father. <laughs> I think Marion Hemingway is wonderful. She's never she been is. He I don't, lo I don't love, love Michael Murphy in it. He's fine. He's for, just for that fun. kind of role, yeah. the Tony Roberts role. I guess he wasn't available. Exactly, and Keaton's great. Van Gogh, and like Keaton an Arab. Great. And, and Streep <laughs> in her tiny part is great. And apparently she did not like working with Woody. Interesting. Uh, I yeah. love and boy. But I, I just love every shot, every note. Gordon Willis's highest movie. moment. It's, it's Manhattan is, one of, is, is on my list as one of the you know, best American movies ever. And this, this city never looked better and Gershwin never yep. sounded better. And yep. it's, it's, again, the, 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 the romance makes me a little bit uncomfortable now knowing what we think we know, allegedly, but mm. uh, it's, it, that, it doesn't take away from me any from the, from the impact of that film. It's just, boy, from Annie Hall to Crimes and Misdemeanors, there were a couple of missteps, but those 12 years, that was yeah. a major role for him. I thought he did made some wonder, actually high on my list of Woody Allen, and we could do a whole podcast on it. Is um, well, he also, I mean, he was making a movie every year too. Yeah, he was turning that's in a kind lot of more what his problem is now. Right, which so. is good if you're talking about Zelig, not so good if you're talking about a Midsummer Night Sex comedy. So there you go. Ooh, that's a bad. Thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Seen, the Zellig last Woody right. Allen movie I saw was booed at a, a SAG screening. Um, Wonder Wheel. Oh, well, we're not talking about his post-crimes and misdemeanors work. That's No, that's... I, I loved uh, Deconstructing Harry. I think that's actually his funniest film. And I like Bullets Over Broadway very, very much. Yeah, Don't I like and... that. Don't speak. <laughs> and uh, I like uh, Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Yeah, I do too. 
I know, but you know, in that in that sort of golden period, I mean, uh, my goodness, Zelig and Broadway, Danny Rose and Hannah yeah, and Stardust Memories, and and especially, and I've mentioned this before, the film that has risen the most of those films in critical esteem is Radio Days. I love in, Radio Days. In some ways, is maybe one of the best two or three films he ever did. And it's then his, my favorite is Chord. Yeah, exactly. My exactly, and my favorite film of his yeah, crimes yeah. and misdemeanors still. But uh, very, so very any good. any other uh, nineteen? I have a lot of nineteen seventy nine films. I have a few. Go, Mike. What do you got? Okay, I love being there. I like to watch. Well, it's funny when I saw that movie as a twenty four year old college student, I thought I don't see what the big deal is with Peter Sellers. I thought he was fine, but I just didn't think it was that difficult of a role. And now that I've taken maybe 15 to 20 years of acting classes, <laughs> I understand now why that is such a heralded performance. He's brilliant in it. The whole movie, I think, is, is just wonderful. I, I think it's, a, it's the last really good Hal Ashby movie, unfortunately. Yes, that's um, right. I, uh, Billy Wild, uh, Wilder's last good movie is that year, Fedora. Fedora, that's right. Which didn't get any kind of a release. It, it was literally no, it kind of came in, it's a good movie that kind of came in. Yeah, United it? Artists just buried it. They didn't know what to do with it. The 70s were not kind to Wilder. No. And uh, for a musical, I love hair, the Milos Forman. I liked it when it came out. I, I rewatched it not too long ago, yeah. and I, I got like maybe halfway through. And it was like this really isn't very good. Really, I haven't I, seen yeah, it. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I just, it just doesn't. I'm actually look in it. It's very glossy looking. It's really. I, I remember liking Treat Williams though. That's the first time I think I'd seen him. He was yeah. good in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I don't well, know what I'm, happened to him. And that was the I, year I saw Picnic at Hanging Rock. There you go. But the other, the Peter Weir film that was released that year is my favorite Peter Weir film, which is The Last Wave. Last Wave. Oh, yeah. That's God, pretty that's good. Devastating. Movie. I wish they had cast a different actor than Richard Chamberlain. I know Richard Chamberlain, but the whole idea and the, you know, the Aborigine thing, okay, the idea of the. Oh, it's, it's, it's stunning. Stunning, stunning work. And his next film. No, I'm, I'm going to take that back. Gallipoli, his next film, is my favorite film of his. Um, but what yeah, happened to Peter really Weir? My goodness, what a great director. And I liked, I liked Ten very much, which was sort of a sleeper. I okay. saw it. I was just, you know, I was 14, so I was looking at Bo Derek. You didn't understand middle-aged. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I sort of vaguely understood Bo Derek, though, I want to say in my yeah. own defense. <laughs> You John Woody Moore was a last minute. Well, the movies we haven't mentioned it all. Norma Ray, which was one of the movies that nominated. Thank you. I think it's. I think it's a really good movie. It's a very good movie, and also I just want to point out that um, Martin Ritt was snubbed twice in the seventies for best director. Sounder was nominated in nineteen seventy-two for best right. picture, but he was not nominated for director. And Norma Ray was nominated to 79, not nominated for director. And that, that seems wrong. Yeah, I know. Martin Ritt's only Oscar nomination was Hub, and he, he, which is a great movie, but he did a lot of good movies. And yeah. uh, he's, he's terribly uh, underrated. Well, speaking of sports movies, since you mentioned Breaking Away, a sports, so-called sports movie that came out that year that I like a lot is North Dallas 40. Yes, yes. 
Very smart, very funny down. film. I yep. love that movie. Yes, yeah, really good. Might be the best football movie. Uh, I would go with you on that. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, interesting. Baseball makes good movies. Football, no. And it never comes up. It never, you never see it. Well, and, you know, honestly, guys, again, I'm going genre on you, but we haven't mentioned the film from 79 that probably has had the most cultural influence, even more than Apocalypse Now, and, and that is Alien. Uh, to, to me, Alien was just... I know, I know, I know it, 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 it uh, I know it was like a big, big deal and everything. I just, I don't like the movie. I walked out on it. Really? That, I walked out. When the, when the monster popped out of John Hurt's stomach, I said goodbye. And I was oh by my myself. God. I hated no, that but, movie and I didn't see any of the others. But that was one of the first times. Well, the others, Scott didn't do the others. I mean, Cameron did Aliens, which was a different, it was more like an action film. But this was, first of all, hello, Sigourney Weaver. Welcome to our universe. Oh my God, was she amazing. And how nice to see a female hero in a, in a sci-fi action film. Yeah. Second of all, that was one of the films where I really first understood what a director did. Because there were moments where, you know, there's this thing on the ship and it's and you're over the shoulder following someone and the music builds and the person turns the corner and the thing's not there. And you relax for a second and then bam, the creature comes in from behind and you're like, oh my God, oh my God. And it was really one of the first films where, where I understood that what a director did could really impact. I mean, again, I was 14. So it, I, I it was thought a it very, was. very successful film, Josh. Oh yeah. yeah, that's why they kept making them over and over again. Yeah, much, much to their, their franchise diminishing returns. Aliens was fine, which Cameron did in '86, but Alien Three, which was Fincher's uh, first film, and Mank is coming out tomorrow night, guys. We're going to watch Mank tomorrow night. Yes, yeah. I thought it opened um, today. It, it, it opened tonight. today. That's right. I'm so excited. Um, but, yeah, and, you know, I'm, he, yeah. I'm he did it as, minute we're done with this. <laughs> he did it as a for hire job because he wanted to, you know, he was doing great music videos and wanted to break into films. So Alien, and the fourth Alien was just terrible. And then you had Alien versus Predator. And, it, you know, as if the monster were the most important thing and not Ripley. I never saw Predator either. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you something, though. Predator 2 had one of the great taglines of all time. He's in town with a few days to kill. <laughs> that's pretty good it's not as good as just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water in the water all right so for uh for michael which is one of the worst sequels ever made jaws oh. 2 oh my god and three Never and thought. four yep no and so we are uh john and i are in agreement on 79 with apocalypse now and uh and michael is very understandably staying with manhattan Anything but Kramer versus Kramer, thank you very much. Although I yeah. did like Meryl Streep. And yeah, I, uh, Kramer versus I Kramer, I think it's a good movie. It's well acted, but I, what was the big deal? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Even Robert, I Benton, guess... Robert Benton made, has made better films, uh, like Places yeah. in the Heart or The Late Show. Yes. Yes. No yeah, doubt. The Late Show I like a lot. Yeah. All right, so there's our look at our alternate Oscars for the 70s. That was fun. Next time we have to go obscure and do like the 30s or something like that. But, oh my God. You know, that would there, be interesting. That would be was, fun. 
That would be fun. There is a reason, though, to circle back that this decade was, in many ways, even considering the old studio system, in many ways, the 70s was the high point of American cinema, if you had yeah. to pick out a decade, because the innovation, the, the control that directors had, it was the, the artists ran the asylum. It was wonderful yeah. and unprecedented, and it's never happened since. And now we've come Definitely. to the ultimate expression of money running the game, which is, you know, Disney, yeah, I think 60% of the box office went to Disney last year. I mean, they own the Marvel films and the Star Wars films and the this and the that, and it's, it's just become a complete, fortunately, we have TV, because now a lot of times the best stuff in terms of visual storytelling is coming out on television. Yeah. So we, we do a blissfully short but painful one-person necrology, and of course we're talking about Sean Connery, uh, who, you know, after the Bond films were over, after he did Diamonds of Forever in 71, you know, confounded everybody's expectations by turning into a really, really important and good actor in his own curmudgeonly way. So my question to you guys, give me two or three of your favorite non-Bond Sean Connery performances. Okay. One of them is from the 70s, which I was going to mention uh, before, and it's a little scene movie. Sidney Lamette directed him in The Offense, right. which is about a police... Uh, sergeant who kills a, um, out of rage, kills a suspect. And it's, it's, he's brilliant in it. And it's a, it's, it's a film, it hardly got any play even in 1973. But it, it's a wonderful film. Um, uh, Trevor Howard is in it, Ian Bannon, and Vivian Merchant plays his wife. It's, it's, if you can find it, I, I think you might be able to get it on uh, Amazon Prime. I'm not sure, but it's it's excellent, um, excellent film. The other one, also by Sidney Lumet, which does appear on Turner Classic Movies from time to time, The Hill. The Hill. That's I was trying to think of the name of it. Yeah, right. The Hill about is the great. drill sergeant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah who's in? That. Who's in a uh, not a prisoner of war camp? He's in a he's in a uh, um, prison Boot camp. A, a, oh, it's a prison. prison. Right. It's a prison, yeah. It's where uh, bad soldiers would go. Right. And like Leavenworth. Yeah, it's, it's oh boy. I, I don't even know how that film got made, but 60s, you know. Beautiful black and white photography. Yep. And uh, economy is, is great in it. He's great in Marnie too, which is the same year, right? Yeah. 64. Yeah. You no, know, 64, the year before. Yeah. I just watched Marnie the other day. Um, yeah. He is great in Yeah, it was, well, it was on Thanksgiving night, wasn't well, it? Perfect film to celebrate yeah. family togetherness, Marnie. I think so. Yeah, well, they showed Rear Window Thanksgiving night. It was sort of like right. the middle of the night it was on. It was 24 Hours of Hitchcock. Well, uh, you know, there's Edmund. another Lament movie. With, there's another uh, Lament movie that I liked a lot. Uh, it does never shows with Sean Connery. I think he's very good in his family business with Dustin Hoffman and Matthew Broderick. Matthew oh, Broderick, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, it's a and good movie. remember that. And then he did another one with Lamette that I like, the Anderson Tapes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's a, it's a fun caper movie. But I got to tell you, I didn't like him in The Untouchables. I didn't. I didn't see what the big deal was with that performance <laughs> or that film. 
I, I, I thought he, he lent it, he, he lent it a little bit of gravitas. I, again, I'm a generally a, not a De Palma lover. Uh, there's usually one scene in every De Palma film that's worth seeing, and then the rest is, is, is garbage. I did like The Untouchables. I, I mentioned The Man Who Would Be King. You know, yeah. they were going to, they were going to cat. They were going to do it in the fifties with Humphrey Bogart and somebody else. And my God, I cannot imagine anyone but Sean Connery and Michael Caine in those. Yeah, that's roles. a wonderful film. Just magnificent, and it's a, it's a great. It's a again anti. It's 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 offensive in a lot of Kipling colonial ways. Mm. But the God that when this scene when, when he sings at the end when he walks to his death singing the Minstrel Boy. Oh my God! I was ten years old and I cried like a baby. And I'm going to throw in, as, as, as my third one, I'm throwing in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yes. I he was utterly yeah. charming yes. and yes. lovely as, as uh, Indiana's father. In it's the film. only Indiana Jones movie I liked. And I think it's because of him. I wasn't... No, I like, the, I like the first one in that one. I, I, that's my favorite Indiana Jones movie. Yep. Well, I didn't see, see the first one. I thought was okay. I didn't see what the big deal was. The second one I thought was awful. Oh yeah, God! Oh yeah, the second God. one is is yeah, it's pretty bad. Kate Capshaw. One, what? <laughs> but the third one is delightful. Well, the only reason I like the first one better than the third one is Karen Allen, the woman in the the woman who plays the German scientist in the third one, Allison Dude. She's so horrible. She's not as bad as Kate Capshaw is in the second one, but. Karen Allen was so wonderful in the first one. And that's the only thing I could stand about the last one, about Crystal's Skull. It's such a horrifyingly bad movie, but Karen Allen shows up. It was terrible, but Karen Allen shows up looking very much her age. And it's like, oh my God, she hasn't had any work done. It's so yeah. nice to see you, Karen Allen. I saw Allen. her in a Law and Order, and she was excellent. And uh, Love her. Nothing done. Plus, she is the actress that my wife looks the most like. So I also have a... Uh, a particular <laughs> no. Yeah. But I guess are we all in agreement though that Sean Connery was the best James Bond? Yes, yeah. absolutely. I mean, you know, and I you can you can make the argument that there were better Bond movies made because actually during that era the the first Bond movies with Connery really most of those movies are pretty bad. Well, the but, first three uh, are great. I, 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 this, I still think Connery was is the best Bond. I would say the first three are great. Thunderball is a step down. You Only Live Twice is awful. And Diamonds Are Forever is just cheesy. I mean, there's I like nothing no other way to say it. Yeah, I love I like I, my favorite in the entire series is From Russia With Love. That's a perfect like that There's Robert too. Shaw that's, again. That's the best Lottie one. Lenya. Yeah, that's the best one. Lottie Lenya and, uh, and, and the, woman, the, the Bond woman, Dan, who's uh, Daniela Bianchi, who was a model, is wonderful in it, and Pedro Armendariz yeah, uh, as Karen Bay. God, I love that movie. That is just, that's what a Bond movie should be. No global domination, just a nice little nasty fight on a train between spies. That's, and I, I like Craig almost as much. I See, I don't like the Brosnan. Um, no. I, I, like, I like the, because I grew up reading the Fleming books. And so Fleming's Bond is very dark, almost to the point of socio, being sociopathic. And, mm. you know, that's Craig. That certainly is Connery. And to a lesser extent is Tim Dalton. I kind of like the two Dalton Bonds. But uh, I'm not a huge fan of the Brosnans or the Moors. Although the Mo Roger Moore the was... The Moore ones are bad. The Moore ones are bad. <laughs> it's just a joke. You know, yeah. it's like... Why the, only, the only yeah, they're, one they're, I like... They're, kinda, they, they're campy. Yeah. Except, 
except for your eyes only, which sort of ditched the gadgets and the effects and went back to just a story where he keeps getting knocked around by people like in the, in the good old days. And one of my favorite Bond girls, uh, Carol Bouquet, you were talking about the Buñuel film, Michael, she's mm -hmm. in that. And, you know, I never say no to a woman with a crossbow. So I check out for your eyes only. That's my favorite <laughs> of the, of the more Bonds. But yeah, Sean Connery, no one like him. And plus, you know, Daryl Hammond imitating him on Saturday Night Live. Oh, that was, that was genius. That was <laughs> All right, months that, end, very funny. months that end in Tober. What is Femtober? <laughs> awesome. John Connery left a real footprint and he will be missed. All right, so we are done with episode 26. Our, uh, for our next episode, we've been focusing almost exclusively on American film for the last few episodes, we're heading east. We're going to Asia and we haven't exactly decided where our focus is gonna be, but a lot of the best films these days and going back a long way have come from that part of the world. And you know, all of a sudden last year when Parasite won Best Picture, everyone was like, oh my yeah. God, there's a film industry in South Korea. Like, yeah, for about a hundred years. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, it was the same thing in 1950 when Rashomon hit the festivals and everyone's like, wow, Japan has a film industry? It's like, yeah, yeah. for about 50 years before that. So yeah. we're, gonna be, we're gonna be heading east and looking at that. So be sure to watch Mank. And speaking of Asian, in this case, Asian American directors, I'm trying to figure out a way to see Nomadland. Chloe Zhao's film, which is Nomadland by Chloe Zhao with Francis McDormand. Oh Gordon. yeah, I wanna see that. I really wanna see, it's not streaming anywhere. It, Lincoln Center was streaming it, you know, for a limited audience, and it sold out in about 10 minutes. Yeah, uh, um, I may, it's possible I might get a copy of it for, uh, for the SAG screening. Oh, if you do, I'm just really dying. I'll let you know if I get one. And I'm, please, and I'm very excited about Mank. It, it's Fincher, it's, it's the story of, but what, the thing that interests me is that it's not only about Kane. I had forgotten the fact that Upton Sinclair you know, the muckraking journalist, yeah. governor in California. Run for governor. And all of Hollywood gathered its anti-union strength to make sure he oh, didn't yeah. win. Yeah. So I'm, I'm fascinated by that. And also the I just finished a, a biography on uh, Herman and Joseph L. Mankiewicz. It was pretty scholarly, but it was, it was good. Interesting, interesting character. And plus, you know, I, I think, I don't know if there's anything in this world that Gary Oldman can't do. So um, I'm looking forward to that. So Me too. thanks everybody for joining us again. Remember as always that uh, Vintage Sand is a five nines and a four production. We want to thank Melissa for her technical help, uh, Mama Sue for the use of the hall and Gabby for our cool ass logo. Please recall that we are now available on all the big formats, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and on SoundCloud. We also have a website cleverly titled www.vintagesand.com. Michael's putting his list up there, so everyone's got to go to the website and check it out. All oh, right. No. 25 films from 1971 that were better than the French Connection. <laughs> so, again, thank you, thank you all for listening and for your feedback, and happy watching. Wash your hands, wear a mask, and stay the hell indoors. And hopefully somewhere indoors, your favorite films will always be streamed.